Welcome to Healing the City Podcast. Hi, Amanda. Hi. This is our fourth. Yeah. I don't know what to title these because we're talking about trauma. Yeah. But I don't know. Well, today we're going to talk about cups. Cups. We're going to talk about cups. I'm very excited about this. (laughs) We're going to talk about cups. But this is our trauma therapy and healthy internal emotional i don't know yeah no i think yeah something i think it's about like really reconceptualizing um mental health both when it rises to the level of um you receiving like a diagnosis or needing extra support from like a psychiatrist or a counselor but also about um prioritizing mental health in your life and how it links to physical health because that's one of the big things i think that makes me personally distinctive and how I conceptualize and practice mental health care is that it's very integrative. So I don't see the body and the mind as something separate. And I don't see your life choices and behaviors and your work schedule and your career choices as being separate from your mental health. It's all one big system. Yes. So I want to say that for this podcast, Adrian is with us. And she's like, yay, because I'll be the outsider, so I'll ask the questions the two of you won't ask or answer. <laughs> <laughs> so just pipe in. Um, and you kind of have a plan. Yeah. I do. Well, I had to because we keep like sitting down and it gets super long and we're like, wait, 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 that's not what we were going to talk about. So, yeah, because it is. It's a, it's a complex topic and you can go all over the place. Yes. So um, let's talk about cups then. Yeah, let's talk we about cups. We have talked about cups in our previous podcast. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to revisit that idea. So lay them out for us and then Adrian and I will just interrupt you okay. and ask you questions. Yeah. So the, the thing that we have talked about in the past was that the cup is kind of a good analogy for your stress load and that this relates to the idea of trauma and mental health struggles in that stress impacts those things. And what a lot of people have previously called trauma is starting to be renamed as stress and that it's a continuum. You can have low stress and it's not really traumatic. And at some point, the stress rises to the level of being traumatic, either because it's too much or it's too long. So event trauma like you know, being attacked or being part of a mass shooting or going to war, that would be something that is too much stress where having a chronically stressful job like in healthcare is a big one. That's very like long-term stressful. Um, Both of those can cause similar outcomes. Okay. So the cup is like how much stress can you handle before you get to the point of overload? And the important thing to know is that the cup is not static. It changes and grows over time. It can be impacted by early childhood experiences, by our physiology, just kind of what we're born with. Uh, We talked about how it can be related to um, what happens in utero, um, your mother's health, things like that. But that's kind of, I don't know, that's kind of the period of life where it's not it's not super under your control. Right. In utero? Yeah. Definitely. Well, <laughs> even like early <laughs> yeah, early childhood too, yes, right? Early childhood. Yeah. So like whether you had housing stability or whether you lived in poverty or whether you were in an abusive home or, you know, a cold, unsupportive sure. home. Those all impact um, your your cup size. But I don't want people to feel like it's deterministic that as you grow into a teenager and into adulthood, 
um, you can impact the size of your cub. And if you're lucky enough to have supportive environments around you as a kid that can pour into you, yeah, even if you're in an abusive home, but you have a supportive teacher, that impacts, like that's helpful, um, which is one of the reasons why I love teachers so much because they really do make like a huge difference in a kid's life. So that's first, right? The cup is not static. It's not deterministic. And then once we kind of have like the sides of the cup, you can think about having things that either fill the cup or drain the cup, right? So cup emptiers can really be broadly categorized as stressors, all different kinds of stressors. And cup fillers can be broadly categorized as self-care. Okay, so so one thing that would be a little different than what we talked about, so this is good, is that we talked almost the opposite of that mm-hmm. in some ways when we were talking about how stress fills your cup yeah. up and you don't have the capacity to empty it. Yeah. And so are you shifting that or is this just No, another... I think we just talked about the, that first aspect of okay. like what... Oh, no, I said this backwards. It should be <laughs> the cup fillers are okay. the stressful things. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> okay, this like... is what happened because I had a stressful morning. So yes, like, you did. now my brain is like... Ah! So sorry, sorry, sorry. No. So cup fillers are the things that fill you up and are stress. Right. Cup emptiers are things that we can call self-care or resources. Right. Right. So both. It's both things that you do for yourself and kind of like more outside supports. Like what are the resources of community support? Do you have access to mental health care? Because not not every community does. Tucson is one of those where there's not enough. There's not enough counselors and mental health support. Um, People that live in rural areas can have a really hard time accessing those kind of supports. But also who in your life is there? Many of the families that I work with, they're so isolated, so they don't have anybody to call for support. Right. Um, with cup emptiers, it's like, what, what can you do for yourself and what resources can you put in place to support you? With cup fillers, it's what's going on outside of your world, like what are the stressors in your life? But it can also come from internal stress. So having an overly negative viewpoint or having what they call an external locus of control, believing that you're completely out of control of your life, you can't impact it. Right. Or having very deterministic thinking of like, why does this always happen to me? And, you know, everything always goes against me. Those things, both external things like job stress or relationship stress. Um, kind of fill you up but then also it's important to realize that that internal stuff does make a difference also okay so can can you talk and you can say hey i don't want to go this direction because you know me i'll take you in different directions no but let's say like i'm curious about let's say i live a normal pretty healthy life as a kid i grew up in a family Mm -hmm. that's very supportive and then i am 21 and something extremely Mm -hmm. you know like what they call shock trauma Mm -hmm. happens to me Mm -hmm. rape war that kind of thing yeah and then after that, I can't handle anything. Yeah. Like, what happens to my cup there? Like, what what is going on Well, there? you just got, like, a waterfall's worth of stress. And it's just still pouring. Yeah. Even yeah. though that thing happened Yeah, once. it's done and over, but the, it doesn't matter how big your cup is. There are certain kinds of shock trauma that just overload the system no matter how healthy you are. Right. Yeah. So, it's not, there isn't this idea that, oh, like, because I have a big cup, 
I could go handle lots of shock trauma. Like, yeah, that's not what we're. I mean, you, you might be able could, to handle a little bit. Like, <laughs> well, and I think in the case of shock trauma, what tends to help you regulate, what tends to help impact long-term effects, isn't so much how can you handle it once, but how quickly can you regulate afterwards? Right. So. Yeah, you're maybe you're going to go through a period of like, oh, my God, you know, or like a car accident, mm-hmm. for instance, yes. like that. Even if you're not physically harmed, most people come out of even minor car accidents with um, being in a state of physiological shock. And the difference between do they have long term impacts with that is do they have the resources, both internal and external, to be able to regulate? And one of the big things with that is having a healthy um, physiological system. So if you have somebody who had a lot of dysregulation, kind of how we had talked about last time, where if your cup is already three quarters full um, and then you you overflow it with some kind of an event, um, if your cup is three quarters full, more than likely physiologically, you're already pretty dysregulated. Gotcha. And so you go into something that bumps you up over the edge. It's going to be harder for your body to recover from that. Right. Yeah. No matter how many resources you have. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. Okay. Yeah, that's really helpful. Okay. So you took me off track, Eric. I know. I'm sorry. No, that was a good question. Okay. So the big idea is that stress puts pressure on the system and pressure can get it to the point of breaking or dysregulating, which I think is a a better word because breaking sounds a little deterministic, but dysregulating, I think is a better word. So, and and dysregulating is... Yeah. So that's what we're going to talk about. See, we're on the same track for once. That's good. So what does dysregulation look like? Broadly speaking, it's either hyperarousal hypoarousal or these like wild swings where you get both. So hyperarousal would be more on the anxiety end of the spectrum, right? So you might have a quick temper and be short-tempered and snap at people easily. You might feel jittery, tense, heart racing. Um, You might have panic attacks if you're more towards the extreme end. Um, You might have a hard time managing your time, regulating your time. You might drive really fast. You might feel really nervous. Um, When you're hyper aroused, you also tend to be a little bit more prone to destructive behaviors like drinking too much, binge drinking, like I said, driving really fast or recklessly. Poor impulse control. Poor impulse control. And really what it is, like those things... I like to break um, experiences down that have to do with dysregulation into this is something that's connected directly to physiology, and then the other category is coping mechanisms. So the first one, like being related to physiology, when your heart races or you're overreactive to the environment or you're really physically tense or you get panic attacks, that's physiology. That's just your body like can't manage the stress and come to that homeostatic balance that we've talked about in the past. But things like drinking or substance use or, you know, shopping or eating disorders or things like that, binge eating or whatever, those are just, I see them as ways that the body's trying to get a dopamine hit or get, um, get the body to regulate itself. So another one that, that falls into that one 
can be, well, that's more on the hypo. Can I give you an example maybe? So yesterday I went to Trader Joe's at Grant and Swan and I parked kind of near the veterinarian clinic. And so I'm backing up my car and the sun is beaming in one direction. So you can't in Tucson. Yeah, you can't see. You can't see. And this one guy honked his horn because he was backing up at the same time. So I was like, okay. And I waited and I was parked next to a giant 16 passenger van. So not only is the sun beaming at me, but I can't see when I'm backing up. And so I'm starting to back up. And this lady lays on her horn and looks at me. And it took everything out of me to not drop swear words, open my window, get out of my car. Yeah. And then, and and I feel like that's kind of like that mm-hmm. regulation that you're talking about, where you're able to talk yourself down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So maybe you can use that example. Yeah. With like, like what happened there? In that yeah. Moment. Yeah. 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 No, that's a really good one. So people that have rage um, issues, they yeah, they don't have the emotional control because the system's already overloaded. Um, it can also be a skills issue. Did they grow up in a home that was violent, or where they saw that kind of behavior modeled? So it can be a skills issue, but it can also just, you know, for somebody like you who's pretty chill, like pretty mellow person, if you had started like cussing them out and then afterwards you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Um, that that would be, yeah, it, it overloaded your system right then. So what's going on? We need to look at that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You lost your impulse control for a second. Yeah. But that can become a chronic thing. Right. For people who've been through highly stressful events, it's not uncommon for people who've been off to war to come home with a lot of this hyper arousal kind of stuff because that was the state they were chronically in, is constantly checking, is the enemy here? What's going on? Having to be in a physiological state where their sensories, like gathering mechanisms, your sight, sound, you know, all that stuff is like on high, high alert. Right. And so then you hear a car horn and automatically if it's your, like if somebody's honking a corn at you, uh, Mm -hmm. honking their horn at you, Mm -hmm. it causes a physiological response in your body. Right. Or in my body. Yeah, it does. So for people (laughs) that are dysregulated, for whatever reason, um, they don't, they don't have the resources, internal resources to be able to calm themselves down but the other thing too is that their physiological response to that is much more exaggerated mm-hmm. than like i don't want to i don't like to use the word normal but somebody who's regulated um yeah right well it seems to me i'm, I'm listening to you talking i'm thinking wow you know maybe what jesus was talking about when he says i don't give you the peace that the world gives you mm. is he's talking partially about the capacity to regulate mm-hmm like uh, that the world does not give you the capacity to regulate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, that's very true. But Jesus is offering is the capacity to regulate at some mm-hmm. level. Yeah, yeah. And I can see that in like the idea that um, the Christian idea that, that happiness and joy doesn't come from circumstances. Right. It comes from an internal knowing and experiencing. Right. So, and that peace is a whole body thing and not right. like just absence of conflict. Yes. Right, and the ability to maintain right. that experience even through conflict 
even through stress. Those those wonderful people that can maintain calm in the middle of a chaotic mm-hmm. situation. <laughs> God bless them. Or even just the opportunity to think, you know, when that moment happened, I immediately almost went to what we call the village, the hot seat mm-hmm. of like, what are the false beliefs I'm believing about yeah. myself right now to yeah. calm myself down? And mm-hmm. and I, I don't know that I ever got there, but I, I got to the point where I was like, I know that this isn't who I am and, mm-hmm. that, and that this isn't about me. Mm-hmm. And then I can leave that there for a little bit. Yeah. So that's a good example of like an external resource moving to an internal resource. So the way, you know, the the hot seat has been used in our community is like cognitive behavioral kind of models of let me slow things down. And that's one of the things we'll work with people on is how can we kind of stretch out the experience, thought or reaction and then behavior in dysregulation they're so mushed up on each other that you go from an external or internal experience to behavior in like three seconds right so you have to think about how do we give them the resources and the regulation to be able to stretch out the response time Mm -hmm. and so when you were able to um jump from lady honking the horn which would be the experience or the antecedent it was external to then you have a response of physiology, but there was probably also some stuff going on in your head, maybe that you weren't aware of, and then um, to behavior. Well, you stopped at noticing what's my response and didn't get to, like, an external behavior. You stopped there and slowed it down and were able to choose what your response was going to be. Sure, and that's where, like, a mantra can come in or, like, Mm -hmm. a saying that you say, like, not about me. Moving on. Yeah. 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 So we talked about hyper, right? That was, yes. Yeah. You should go to hypo. So hypo is, would be more on like the depressive end of things. So that can be uh, losing interest in things, uh, what they call in depression anhedonia, but it doesn't necessarily mean you lose all your interest in things. It might just be like, oh my God, I don't even care anymore. I just want to watch TV. Right. You know, just like Netflix binge. Um, you don't get up and do the things that you love to do anymore. Um, it can be not being able to get out of bed, sleeping too much, not sleeping enough. That's a common one with depression that people don't know about is it's not just that you sleep too much. It's that your sleep is disturbed. Right. Disrupted sleep. Yeah. So it can be not getting to bed on time, not being able to stay asleep, um, sleeping past your normal wake time. Or it can be you just crash out and you you never want to do anything but sleep. You just feel tired all the time. It can be a pervasive sense of loneliness, shame, guilt, sadness, fear, you know, all those different kinds of things. So when you're saying this and you already gave a hyper, these are signs and symptoms that you are not regulated. You're yes. not the, the hypostasis, or mm-hmm. homeostasis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You ha- you're not there. But right. those are actual signs of that. Yes. Which is, I don't know if people think that. Right. Especially on the hypo. Yeah, yeah. Like, they almost think maybe you've been overregulated. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So and I think the important thing to know, too, is that you don't have to have a huge accumulation of these things in order to say I'm not regulated. Like it could just be like, God, I cannot get enough sleep. Or when I come home in the evenings, I don't want to play with my kids or tuck them into bed. I just want to go watch TV. And that's it. And that's all you have. And you don't necessarily feel sad or lonely or any of those things. But just that one thing is enough to say, okay, I'm bumping into some dysregulation. Things aren't balanced in my life. That's a, that's, I think in some ways, you know, outside of, 
with professionals like you, mm -hmm. it's kind of revolutionary because mm -hmm. people don't think that way. We're not taught that way in school. Yeah. Like to be, oh, these minor experiences that mm -hmm. I might be having mm -hmm. with terrifying mosquitoes that are flying. She's <laughs> currently getting attacked by a mosquito. Um, uh, those kinds of things are warning signs. Yeah. And, yes. and, and if I knew that, I might not end up right. so yeah. far into depression right yeah into... if you learn to see them as a, a red flag like it is the wisdom of the body saying too much i'm getting full too much pay attention to me um yeah but it, it can get to a level where then you qualify for like a diagnosis sure. of depression or anxiety or whatever and i think even you know, you said like, oh, for just like lay people like us, like that's a revolution. Even in the mental health world, it's a revolution. And a lot of people don't think this way. We still think in pathologizing diagnostic categories and we don't link depression or anxiety or, you know, other mood and behavioral disorders as being linked to overwhelming stress and dysregulation. The only time they really pay attention to it is when it either meets the threshold for a diagnosis or gets pretty darn close. Um, but these things are not just organic springing up out of nowhere. Right. They come from somewhere. And like I had said in a past conversation, the PTSD is the only diagnosis in the DSM that even hints at what the, to an event, like what might be causing it. No right. other diagnosis like depression or anxiety, it doesn't say, oh, when you're feeling too much stress, you might start to experience these symptoms. Mm. Um, and that's because they tend to be more, you know, it's more complicated. They can come from a lot more right. places yeah, than PTSD. Lot, right, there's a lot, a lot of complicated things. So you said hyper, hypo, but there's one more, right? Wild swings. Wild swings. Yeah, so we're just all over the place. So one day you're like, yes, let's do it. I'm on top of the world. We can do this. Okay, come on. Like, Get yourself together, and then, you know, a few days later, you're like, oh, my God, this sucks. I can't handle this. I see this one a lot when it comes to, like, food and body stuff, mm -hmm. where people go through these cycles of, um, all right, like, this is the diet. This is the one. This is the exercise program. This is the one that's, that's going to work for me. And they're, like, super hyped up, and they're super ramped up. Um, and then you know, the stress starts to mount and mount and mount and they keep, they're eating too few calories. They're not taking care of themselves. They're over-exercising and their body's like, nope, mm. you're not taking care of me the right way. Hmm. Um, it's too exaggerated. It's too far of a swing into the restrictive zone and they binge or they just crash out or they give up. Mm. Um, and then they go into cycles of shame and frustration and then eventually they find the next good thing that's going to take them there. Right. Mm. That's a little bit more behavioral tied into more behavioral stuff. But sure. that's where you can see like the physiology exerts an impact where it says, no, we're not going to do this. I can't mm. maintain this. Mm -hmm. um, and that has an impact on behavior and cognition. Yeah. And I think I experienced this, uh, you know, as a pastor with people that, you know, this is in a minor way, the way a lot of us engage life mm -hmm. where, yeah. where we deal with our stress that way we're like yes mm -hmm. this is this is the way i'm going to deal with these things mm -hmm. and i figured it out and that works that week and then i'm yeah. really depressed because something really hard happened you know on the mm -hmm. weekend and it didn't mm -hmm. 
what I was doing didn't fix it. Yeah. And so now I'm now I'm depressed and mm-hmm. I'm going to binge on Netflix this week. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to feel shame about bin- binging on Netflix. So I'm back to whatever the next I'm cleaning my right. house like obsessively yeah. and yeah. getting everything in order cuz I'm going to, you know, take on my life. Yes. Yeah, and and I think um you, you had given me a book at one point called Facing Shame, yes. and they document that shame cycle very well. So I think one of the things um, I think sometimes trauma therapists can do too much is over-focus on physiology um, and, and only look at the cycles of dysregulation within the physiology. That, oh, you're hyper-aroused, so you're over-responsive to external triggers, so you have an exaggerated response. Right. Yeah, that's all true, but you can also dysregulate in your thought patterns and in your behavior patterns as right. well, right? right? And in your beliefs and all those kinds of things. Yeah. And that's important, I think, because sometimes when we have these conversations, it is it ends up only being about physiology. Yeah, it is. So I just went to, I just finished level, what is it? Your level 72 level secret. Level 72 secret trauma therapist training. No, is uh, so I'm in the training program to become a somatic experiencing practitioner, which is a targeted treatment for trauma. Um, and it, it it's called somatic experiencing and soma meaning body. Right. Um, but in this last training that I went to, he made the great point, like this Trauma work generally and this particular modality is not just about physiology. It's about all of the ways that we experience the world and interact with the world. So we have to look for where's the dysregulation across all the different channels of experiencing. And a really great conversation we had as a group was we were were talking about how uh, we get to you know, two or three o'clock and we're all just like, oh my God, because they're long training. It's four days and it's a lot of information, a lot of practice. And and you are dealing with like nervous systems connecting. So, and that's, that's kind of one of the weird things with somatic experiencing. I don't know. That's different than in normal talk therapy. We're not just sitting down and like engaging cognitively or emotionally. Like I'm, I like to say like I'm I'm in training to become like a walking barometer of other people's nervous systems and their states of activation. So it takes a lot of sensory experience for me and and for the other people in the training. It takes it takes a lot of energy yeah. and effort. So by the end of the day, like we're exhausted, but there's still three more hours to get through. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and the instructor kind of pointed out how, yeah, I wish that we could figure out a way to run this training that's more in sync with just the basic biological processes of the body because that's what we're teaching you how to do, but then we're not practicing it. Um, but then we had a great conversation about how our world, our society is really not set up to match the body and, right. and the needs of the body um, that we scorn you know, um, Hispanic cultures, European cultures, um, a lot of um, indigenous cultures still have systems where they take that afternoon break. Man, and we're like, man, they're so lazy. You know, you're going to go home and take a nap in the middle of the day. Yeah. Like, what if we did that? Like, what if we entirely changed? Like, I remember I used to live in Germany and they had quiet hours um, in the middle of the day. And all the businesses shut down. Everybody went home, had some lunch, took a nap, hung out with their family, and then went back to work. And so things tended to be open just a little bit later, but not everything. 
some of them, they still ended their workday. The bakery still closed at five or six o'clock and, you know, whatever. So their, their entire society was set up around the needs of the body. So they were much less stressed. And as we've seen cultures westernize and become more like America, their their heart rate or their heart attack rates go up, their mm. obesity rates go up, like their health just generally gets worse and worse and worse. And it's partly because you're dysregulating the system. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good and not so good. Yeah. Well, it's good to like try to figure out a way yes. to do it. And yeah, and this is one too, I think that really, it, it dawned on me that like, oh crap, even from like the earliest moments of our children's lives, we're training them for this because that's how the school day is set up. Yes. Mm-hmm. My kids have been coming home telling me um, they didn't give us enough time to eat lunch. We only have 15 minutes or like their their recess time has been cut to just 15 minutes one time a day because the state has put so much pressure on schools to have more instructional hours without actually paying for them to have more days in the school year or whatever. Um, so my kids are getting trained for this. We get up in the morning, we rush, rush, rush. We get really in activated states. We maintain throughout the entire day with very little downtime because we've got too much learning to do. We got so much to do, busy, busy, busy. And then we get home and we crash. Right. And so they're, yeah, their bodies are trained for that even through childhood. Our bodies have been trained for that. Yeah. We here at this table are a product. Yes, we are. Yeah. So it's like beginning to embrace, like, how do we do that differently? And it's tricky because we currently don't have a social structure that supports that. So if you're gonna do it, you're, you kind of have to go rogue. And, and be the weirdo. That's what I was going to ask you about is, you know, if a, someone's listening to this podcast, they might recognize some of those traits in themselves mm-hmm. and then ask themselves, okay, so I see that yeah. in myself. Now what do I do? Yeah, good question. So if you have the possibility of being able to change your job or your career, the way that your day is structured, um, I encourage that, but that's not always very possible. If you have that option, I think take advantage of it. So if if you can, right now with the job that I have, I I can kind of get away with having a break in the middle of the afternoon if I want it um, or taking a longer lunch break. But the work I'm doing lends itself to that because people are typically available for sessions earlier in the morning or later in the afternoon. So lucky me, but, you know, not everybody has that luxury. Um, so if you don't have that luxury, I think it's, it's about being really smart with your downtime. Um, it's, I think making sure that just, just recognize that if you choose a career and you choose a person to work for a company to work for, that's demanding 50, 60 hours a week, your body's not going to be able to sustain that. Mm -hmm. We should maybe talk about what is downtime because yeah. I think some people think downtime is like watching. And we should talk about that later. Yes. That's, <laughs> okay. Sorry. That's a huge, that's a huge question. Yeah, it is a big okay. question. Yeah. Right. But I think like a quick answer to that is yes, there's, there's downtime. There are things that refill you and there are things that numb you and they're very different. Mm-hmm. So again, it's back to if it's actually just numbing you out and it's just a coping skill, um, you know, chronically looking at social media and um, the computer and all that kind of stuff, it may not be as extreme as binge 
binge drinking, but it's still serving the same physiological purpose of just numbing you out and helping you cope with the stress Mm -hmm. versus actually recover from the stress. Yes. So exercise, meditation, something physiological is very important. Taking a bath, you know, doing something like knitting has actually been shown to be just as effective at re-regulating the system as meditation. Right. But we can have that conversation further. It's a really good conversation. And and I think it would be cool to have that conversation and how does the gospel play out and all of those things Mm -hmm. as we can have a conversation about that. Yeah. Amanda, thank you. Adrian, thank you. Great questions. Great information. I'm excited about this going up. Cool. Good stuff. All right. This is the end. You've been listening to Healing the City podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and Spotify and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.